Welcome to something crunchy. Tyler is homies with Blake. Blake is the older bro of Blair. Blair is married to Tyler and is a slutty slut slut. Welcome to something crunchy. What the hell is crunchy? Welcome to something crunchy. Welcome to another special edition episode of Something Crunchy. I'm Cullen Blake. With me as always, Blair and Tyler Dressel. We have an extremely crunchy guest on with us tonight. This man oozes crunch. He's an Emmy-winning writer and executive producer on The Simpsons and co-creator of F is for Family. Please welcome Michael Price. Yeah! <laughs> oh, thank you. Wow, such an ovation. That's wonderful. <laughs> thank you for crunching down with us, Mr. Price. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thank you so much. Very happy to be here. Great. How were your holidays? Oh, very good. Very quiet. Uh, we originally planned to uh, go back east. I grew up in New Jersey, but I live in Los Angeles now. And uh, as the Omicron started to uh, snowball, <laughs> we decided maybe not get on a plane. So we, we took it a very quiet time then over the holidays. But it was it was nice. All right on. Nice. Do you feel good about 2022? Boy, that's a good question. <laughs> I, <laughs> it, cha- it changes every day, doesn't it? It changes uh, every day. It is a loaded question. I mean, as far as, yeah, I feel like it's. I think ultimately it's going to be better right now. It doesn't look so hot. I have hopes that uh, we'll all get through it and get through this crunch, this crunch. Speaking of, speaking of crunchy, we're in the middle of crunch right now. (laughs) Well, it is a treat and an honor to have you on. Let's first discuss some of your life outside of your career. What are you doing when you're not writing bangers and working on projects with global wide fame? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm mostly uh, walking my two dogs <laughs> and hanging out with my wonderful wife. And uh, I have a son who's uh, he's in his 20s now. He's in college, so we don't see him as much as we used to, but we hang out. And he and I are both big uh, baseball fans. Uh, I I grew up in New Jersey, like I said. I'm a huge fan of the New York Mets. And that's the only sport that I really care about is baseball and the New York Mets. Right. And so my son grew up grew up in L.A. where the Dodgers have been dominating for like the oh, last wow. dozen years. But he's a Mets fan. So I, oh, I cool. hopefully he'll thank me later. He might not. I don't know. But, Staying uh, true. I, the Mets I, have I a great culture. A Mets fan. The fans of the Mets are diehard yeah. Mets fans. Yeah, Love, I can appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, it is true. It is true. I mean, we haven't had a won a World Series since 1986, which uh, I remember. Uh, been in it a couple of times since then, and they always seem to find some new and different way to screw it up. <laughs> they're, they're, they're heartbreakers, hundred percent. At least the one in '86 yeah. was extremely memorable. Yeah, right. Someone I, I read, I read a, uh, I got a great book. Uh, my wife gave me a great book for Christmas about them, just basically saying like, even when they lose, they find an amazing way to lose. When they win, they find an amazing way to win. <laughs> you know? so, it's never a dull moment. All right, so you're from New Jersey. Theater major at yes. Montclair State College. So was Bruce Willis. That's correct. I I saw Bruce Willis in a play. Really? I, yeah. was, yes. So here's my Bruce Willis story. Uh, when I was a freshman at Montclair State College, he was a senior, and uh, they did a production of Tennessee Williams's Cat on the Hot Tin Roof. Nice. Wow. That Bruce Willis was the star of. He played. If you're familiar with that play, it's, the main character is called Brick, and that's the part that Paul Newman played in the movie. Uh, and he was in that play and, uh, he was fine. I had heard later that, that he had gotten in a couple of scrapes with the director. Um, wow. because even then he had kind of like, 
even then he had kind of like the Bruce Willis attitude. This is what I heard. <laughs> I wasn't, I didn't witness it firsthand, but I heard that uh, he would often in that play, they do a lot of drinking. Uh, so he's drinking like these like iced teas that are supposed to be whiskey or whatever. And uh, he would just leave the set in the middle of the scene to go, go to the bathroom. So he, he wasn't supposed to be leaving the scene. That's what I had heard that like the woman who's having the scene with them would be talking to him and he just let her wander off and <laughs> go pee into a coffee can or something and then come back, you know? So that, that was the funny. legend of Bruce Willis. So then years later, like a couple of years later, I hadn't thought of him. He would, he would come around and like be at parties and stuff. And he was just kind of like this, this guy, like a little bit, just kind of like the, like the Matthew McConaughey guy in days of confused. So like, even after he graduated, <laughs> he was still hanging out with everybody, you know? So, uh, and he was kind of a grungy guy, whatever. So a number of years later, I got a call from a friend of mine and he's saying, Hey, have you, have you seen that show moonlighting on TV? I'm like, yes, I heard about it. He goes, have you seen, I also wanted to, it's like, you know, that guy was a star. Yeah, he's pretty good. Is that Bruce Willis? And I'm like, what? It was. So anyway, that's my Bruce Willis story. He's like well known for wanting that special Bruce Willis treatment. It's funny to know that it was like rooted in the beginning. It started early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He gave zero Fs, whatever, back then. So. He is who he is, you know? He says who he is. That's good. He's got a brand and he established it. <laughs> oh, that's a great story. So after Montclair, went to graduate school at Tulane, degree in theater direction. Then being a Second City and SNL fan, he started at Gotham City Improv. Between the collegiate yeah. education and the stage at Gotham City, which provided you with more of the skills that you applied in your writing career? Oh, without a doubt. Gotham City. Uh, oh. You know, I mean, I love theater. Uh, I still love the theater. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, acting and directing in plays. Um, but I, you know, I went to graduate school largely because I didn't know what to do once I got out of regular college. So I was like, <laughs> "Oh, a chance to go to keep going to college for three more years? I'll do that." Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which is what I did, and and uh, I had a great time there at Tulane. It was wonderful. I've sold some amazing friends from there. And then after I got out from Tulane, I still didn't have no idea what to do with my life. And um, uh, I continued doing theater back in New Jersey with some friends of mine from undergraduate school. And I was still knocking around and I had every kind of crazy uh, job you could picture. Um, I was the worst. I was a teacher. Uh, my parents, <laughs> the thing were, yeah, my parents did the thing where when I told them I wanted to be a theater major, they were like, OK, well, as long as we're paying for you to go to college to be a theater major you we're going to insist that you also get like a, a marketable skill whatever which was <laughs> for me which great, was to like but... double major like double major in theater and uh getting a teacher's degree so uh which is what i did so then i did use it but i, I taught i was i taught in a, a town called irvington which is uh, a suburb of newark new jersey um which was uh, you know, you can't see me, but, you know, I'm like big, tall, white dude with glasses, you know, and, and this, this school was probably 75 to 80 percent African-American, you know, really cool kids, cool stuff going on. And I was completely like the whitest, the whitest, nerdy, <laughs> like white guy, like, you know, those bad comedians that they're like, white guys are like this and black guys are like this. I was the white guy like this, you know, <laughs> so I didn't know what I was doing. I was in over my head. I was pretty young. I thought I would be like, uh, it's so funny because uh, we're recording this today when Sidney Poitier died earlier this morning and he had a yes. movie called yeah. Two Sir With Love. 
You ever see Two Sir with Love that he was in? I have not. Uh, it's a really great movie, but that was like he was kind of the cool teacher in this London school full of juvenile delinquents. And he comes in and he's like, he's cool. And by the end of it, they all love and respect him. So I thought I would be like the cool teacher coming in, like fresh out of college. <laughs> and like, like, oh, this. these kids are going to. Yeah, but like within literally within like, I want to say within a day or two, like I had no control over the classroom <laughs> and I was just out to lot. I was just done. So I was not a very good English teacher at Irvington High. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I wasn't, I was bad. So I did that. I did other things. I worked for a law firm as a proofreader at a law firm and uh, all kinds of crazy jobs. And then when I found out about improv training, I'd always loved, Second City and Saturday Night Live and that style of comedy, but I never did it. And a friend of mine was in this group and he said, take some classes with the group. And I did. And that's where everything got started from wow. from there. Do most writers on your staff have a background in stand-up comedy? <clears throat> no, not, not too many. Um, if you look at the Simpsons staff, like the, the cliche they say is like every everybody on the Simpsons is from Harvard Lampoon, <laughs> uh, which it used to be more of that, like a little bit more of that back in the older days when sure. everything started. But I, I still work for Al Jean and, and Mike Reese, who, who were members of the Harvard Lampoon or one of the first kind of Harvard guys that came out. And there's a few. There's just still quite a few that, that come from that background. Um, but not too many others either, either did stand up or did kind of the kind of like sketch comedy that, that I, or improv that I did. People come from all different walks, but not too many that did stand up. For a while there, we worked with, uh, I got to work with, um, one of the great comedians, uh, Dana Gould was on our, our staff for a number of years. So, yeah. uh, he's fantastic. Saw him and live. he was actually the, oh, I'm sorry. I saw him live when I first came to LA. Uh, the first time I came to LA with my old writing partner. We kind of came out of like a, this was back in the early nineties, a kind of like a scout out kind of mission. Like, do we really want to move to LA and see what's like out there? And we came out for a couple of days and we went to the improv and we saw, and Dana Gould was one of the comedians at the improv that night. Uh, anyway, he's I, great. I got to work at the improv in Tempe for about a year and a half. It was an awesome experience. Saw uh, everybody under the sun. Oh, I'm sure. Wow. That must've been really interesting. And Incredible. Fun. He's got some stories from there. <laughs> Well, you may have heard this once or twice before. We love The Simpsons, Mr. Price. <laughs> it truly is the best show ever. My favorite show ever. There's yeah. nothing else I could say I've watched for 30 years, and I'm sure you never hear any of this. <laughs> uh, what are the most common Simpsons questions you get asked? The one that is probably asked more than any is, do you write for one particular character, or does everybody write for every character? Really? They'll, they'll say like, oh, oh, they'll say like, oh, I'm a writer on Simpsons. Oh, really? Which character do you write for? Yes, they always, people always ask that. That's just like one writer like, no, per no, no, character. No. Yeah, like yeah, I'm the crusty guy or I'm the Marge guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doesn't necessarily uh, work that way. I wouldn't think. I would think no. it's more of a team it, effort for it, episodes it, and concepts. It, it does not work that way. But that is, <laughs> I would say that is what we get asked almost more than. And then I mean, I, I will also say this: that probably over the course of the last few years what we get, what I get, and I imagine if I ask the other people what they would probably agree with me, what we get more than ever now is like, how do you guys predict the predictions, future? Predictions. Yeah. Predictions. Which 
which we don't. I mean, <laughs> when you've been around that long was, for 33 or 34 years and you write 750 plus episodes. There is definitely some coincidence there, like some strange coincidence there. But when you've done anything and been working on telling stories for 30 years and have over 600 episodes, yes, that's just going to happen. happen. Yeah. Lightning and I'll say this too. I will say this too. Like there, the internet has messed things up a little bit sometimes where there's some things that seem... I've seen a couple of things where uh, like people have used uh, trickery or whatever Photoshop to make something look like we did it, but we didn't, you know, I've seen some of that, which maybe muddies it a little bit. Uh, and specifically with, with uh, Trump becoming president, I wasn't around for that episode that was written, I think like in 1998 or 99, yeah. but, but even at that time, as I recall, uh, Donald Trump was talking about how he wanted to run for president. So it wasn't like, too insane to think of like oh maybe 20 years from now yeah you know whatever and then that and then what happened is like they thought of the crazy absurd thing and then i mean it's not our fault that like reality got absurd (laughs) (laughs) coincidence yeah stranger than fiction because yeah you came in uh like your first episode you worked on was the 300th right the tony hawk episode that was the, we were working on that the very first day I started. Wow. Working on the show. Yeah, yeah. What first a memorable day. episode, too. I love that one. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's a cool one to say you started on in the 300. The very, the very first thing I contributed to the show was that day where they were, it was this thing, if you remember that episode, part of it involved that uh, Bart had been in these commercials as a baby. In yes. this stuff called baby stink breath, <laughs> yes. and uh, of and so they found an old VHS tape of like a TV show that Bart's commercial was on, and somebody was pitching that the show would be uh, Perfect Strangers, and I, I don't know if it made it that way into the final episode or not, but it was going to be Perfect Strangers starring uh, you know Bronson Pinchot, <laughs> and so I remember I remember pitching that Bronson Pinchot's character Balky said, "Don't be ridiculous," and they're like, "What's that?" It's like that was his catchphrase. <laughs> and I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, that's what it was. So that that got into the script. I don't know if it made it into the final show or not, but then that was the first thing he contributed that like sort of made it into the script. Wow. Was okay. saying, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> I could totally get why you would be asked about the predictions over and over. We're not going to do that here. <laughs> what is the like strangest question you could think of that you've gotten on The Simpsons? Yeah, I'm trying to think of a strange one. People get weird. I, uh, yeah, I mean... Well, I remember once being at a Comic-Con, and it wasn't directed at me, but it was really funny because it was it was a Comic-Con panel that we were, a bunch of us were on, and Matt Groening was there, of course, and and someone got up in the audience, and they were kind of like, the, they've done that on the show a number of times, like the kind of comic book guy type people in the audience at Comic-Con, and this guy said, whatever happened to this character? It was called Old Uncle, Old Uncle Pennybags or something, <laughs> and, uh, and Matt Groening literally said, I have no idea. Who <laughs> Great question. Yeah. What the hell are you talking about next? <laughs> right, yeah, he's like, I don't know. You, you know more about the show than I do at this point. Yeah. So obviously writers are not assigned specific characters, uh, but who is your favorite character to write for and why? Well, I, I kind of mentioned him in passing a little bit ago, but I, I guess it might have to be Krusty the Clown. Herschel, Schmoikel, Eurokum, Krastovsky? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, oh, that would be I one love Krusty. I grew up as a kid idolizing and like uh, kind of in- absorbing and inhaling all old kind of showbiz. So 
I grew up in the New York area in a pre-cable time when there were just about five different channels. And the network channels showed network stuff, but then the local channels showed all these old, old movies like the Marx Brothers, and they would show the Honeymooners and Abbott all Costello, that old stuff. Yeah, Abbott and Costello, and, and I just and I just loved all that stuff. I specifically loved anything old, show busy stuff <laughs> like the Steve Allen show, anything with like old comedians and all that stuff. I loved it so. So Krusty is kind of like all those people kind of rolled up into one. Oh my so, God, you, you uh, know how much sense he's saying that. Yeah, it does make sense. He's one of my favorite characters too because he's like the comic. He's the comedian and he's kind of old Hollywood. Half our family's yeah. Jewish, so we get most of those references and I appreciate him. Yeah. So it's a chance for me to throw out old references and it's like, I'm not just being an old guy now. I'm being, I'm making a joke. Yeah, you know? of course. So if I, <laughs> yeah. if I have Krusty, when Krusty talks about like, Arnold Stang or somebody, you know, it's like, all right, that's Krusty would do that, you know. But for the so people that get fun. those references, those it's gold. Yeah, there are people it's that gold. are getting all of those things. Love that. Yeah, yeah. So I have an episode coming up that'll be uh, on uh, later this season of The Simpsons. Uh, I think it'll be on probably maybe around March or so that deals uh the first part of it is a lot of it. It deals with sort of a backstory of how Krusty founded Krusty Burger and what his life was like and how Krusty Burger oh, got started. So nice. it's fun. Oh, a background? Nice. Yes. Always yeah. love backstories on the characters. And Krusty has had some good ones with his father, yeah. his upbringing. The, Very complex. The, the daughter, the estranged daughter. That comes, right? Not, not yeah. estranged, yeah. surprised daughter. He didn't know about her. Surprise um, daughter, surprise Sophie. Daughter. That's right. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's had some great storylines. So tell us about the writing retreats and give us a little peek behind this curtain. This is my dream job. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, well, as you, as you all know, everyone in the world knows that we're, you know, we're in the middle of the pandemic right now. So we haven't had a chance to do one of those in a while. Um, the last one I think we did probably was in December of 2019 or 2018. Um, but that was the thing. They used to, I mean, back in the old, old days before I got started there, I think they would actually literally go away somewhere. I think maybe they went to like Reno or something or Vegas one time or something, you know, actually went away and did like a writer's retreat. Uh, what it turned into in, in my time was that we would um, usually go to assemble in a big conference room uh, at the Fox studio a lot. Uh, and occasionally we one time we did it they rented out like a big a big room in a hotel down by the beach which was nice but that was a chance for us to then present our story ideas for the upcoming season and it would usually be held around the beginning of december when we we're planning the next season and everyone had a chance to sort of put on a little bit of a show of you'd be working on your story idea and they go okay it's your turn you know then i'd get up and I'd have, have it all written down and be around a 10 minute or so fully worked out story of what, what the story I wanted to do was. And you pitched it to everybody and you're, the entire staff is there. Uh, Matt Groening, Al Jean, and also uh, the most important person in that room would be Jim Brooks, James L. Brooks, who's our, our super executive producer. Um, you know, one of the greatest writers and directors of all time. And so he was the ultimate authority on 
what he liked and didn't like. That's interesting. And is that an official title? Super executive producer? <laughs> <laughs> Super duper. Never heard of Super that. Super duper executive producer. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, as, as, as excited as I was to get a job on the Simpsons, um, it was super exciting, but also to be able to work with someone who I grew up with watching his shows, like, you know, he created the Mary Tyler Moore show and Taxi and he directed uh, Terms of Endearment and Broadcast News, you know, and so, so to be able to be in the same room with someone who I, as a kid watching those shows, uh, and if you ever watch those old shows, uh, you'll hear Jim uh, had a very, has a very particular kind of laugh uh, which is kind of like a high pitched kind of like, oh, I'll just do it for you. It's kind of like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> yeah. you know, so if you ever watch old Mary Tyler Moore's or old taxi episodes, you'll hear that you'll hear, ah, ah, ah. and that's Jim. That's Jim on the set, like laughing at it. <clears throat> so, uh, the first time I remember like being, I think at a table read of a show I wrote, uh, and he laughed that way. I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Like, oh, I'm hearing I'm it in person now. Wow. Yeah. I yeah, eat yeah. up fun facts like that. And we that watch a lot yeah. of those old shows, too. Like, we'll catch that. That. Yeah. that is so great. Yeah, you'll, you'll hear it. You'll hear it. Because I always knew, even as a kid, I was like, that's got to be somebody who works on the show. Because the same, you hear the same laugh like week after week after week. So I figured that's got to be somebody who works on the show. And then I realized you I learned it. later that it was Oh, Jim. I love that. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, let's move on to F is for Family. This show is so damn funny. So good. Our entire family binges this show. Mm-hmm. Season five was just Aww. released over a month ago. Are the rumors true? Is season five really going to be the final season? Yeah, that's that's very true. Uh, you know, we we got a call from Netflix. We we released season four in uh, June of 2020, and. Um, you know, I had, we had plans for like, this is what season five will be. This is probably where we could go after this, you know. And um, we had a nice call with them where they were like, we really love the show. We think it's great. People are watching it. But um, Netflix has their ways, you know, so they tend to not give too many shows that many seasons. So uh, they told us then they said, well, we think we'd like to tell you that we're deciding that this upcoming season five will be your final season. So, um that was a bit of a, a blow and yeah. uh, a bummer because we love it. Yeah, it was. It was a bummer. And then on top of it, um, this was partly our fault or my fault, which was saying that like by the by uh, season four, every season more or less followed chronologically after the season right before it. Yeah. So season four ended story wise right around uh, the end of October of 1974. And so I knew that season five would be a chance for us to do stuff we hadn't done before. We had never seen a Thanksgiving episode. Um, we had done a little bit of Christmas in, in the very first season, but we had never done like the Christmas season and yeah. all that stuff. So, so I said, uh, let's make season five all about, among other things, building up to, you know, Thanksgiving and a little bit of Halloween and then Christmas season and Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and, and possibly like New Year's. So when we pitched it, they thought that was great. But by the time things got around to picking us up, I think the pandemic didn't help too, because when the pandemic hit in March of 2020, suddenly like all bets were off. Like, will they continue to even make shows? Like no one knew what was going on. So I think that that ended up pushing our, our, um, 
whatever decision to make more episodes back a little bit as well. Yeah. So anyway, by the time it came time for them to order it, to do it, they said they thought that we couldn't do 10 episodes and have them finished time to come out by, you know, Thanksgiving of 2021. So um, I said, no, we can do it. Don't worry about it. We'll cram it. We'll make it happen. Because you know, <laughs> we wanted to do the, those 10 episodes. But, but they said, no, let's just be easier if we do eight. So that's why the last season was eight. Okay. It was okay. mostly because of that time of like trying to make this time window of coming out in time for the holiday season. I was curious about to, that. Okay. To, fit with the, to fit with what the stories were about. Well, that answers that question. And as a fan, I was obviously very upset until I saw the ending. It was so well done. I mean, full circle on the phone call at dinner, even the song choice on how it ended. Surrender, Cheap Trick. It was oh, so well done and so enjoyable. Thank you. Agree. It wrapped it up nicely where it kind of gave it closure where if this is the end. I feel good about it. You yeah. feel good about it. it tied oh, well, a thank you. Well, it felt really good to me too. I mean, yeah, I mean, there was an interesting season to plot out and, and we knew that we, we knew that we needed to bring it around to an ending um, that was satisfying, but also we thought it was best just to sort of have, well, especially the main character, Frank to have, not to sort of have like a complete kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge kind of conversion. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, but, but like of... enough that he, enough that he makes like, like a baby step towards like, a little bit of that's all that was needed a little bit of, for yeah, frank a baby yeah. step is a big step yeah <laughs> yeah right right so uh so it was good to do that and i'm so glad that you liked that song because i i hit on that song as the as the song that would be the final song about three or four years ago uh saying like i think that whenever we end the show that should be the last song uh, and there's a, there's a bit of a personal thing for that too which is that uh i remember a day like back in those like would it be around 1980 or so because that song first hit became a big hit like in 1978 i think when it was on uh, the cheap trick live at budokan record um and that i have three brothers and our family life was a little crazy it wasn't as crazy as the murphys and you know my father didn't yell and scream like like frank murphy like frank murphy but you know we i mean it was every family has their own their own thing you of know course. and oh, sure. so uh but i was we're all four of us brothers were hanging out together my older brother had already gotten married i think and wasn't living in the house anymore uh and i was there i was home from college and my other brothers were there and we were just hanging out and either that song either came on the radio or we were playing it on the record or whatever and that song started coming on surrender and we all just kind of like started like singing it it was a weird way we were kind of all like kind of like air guitaring it and singing it to each other <laughs> and it was almost like the unspoken thing which was that that's what i love about that song which is like you know your family can be really screwed up your mom is messed up you you know they're just weird but just stick with it and surrender and and but don't give yourself away and you'll you'll be okay you know so i never forgot that moment and so then all these years later when i'm working on the show uh, I hit on that. It's like, that would be the perfect way to end. That had to, to have been a tough call and a tough choice, but you definitely it knocked it out of the park. Choice. And I, I, there is something oh, about you. that song. I also felt some of the same sincerity and vibes uh, you get while watching The Simpsons in this finale episode, especially with the box 16. That was really creative and kind of reminded me of some of the tender moments in The Simpsons, like when Homer found out his middle name. Like, <laughs> right. Like, like, like I, right, love, I right. love that episode. And it kind of hits the same heartstrings that The Simpsons does. Oh, that's, that's huge high praise. I mean, I'll say that's, I think that's sort of what people ask sometimes, like what, 
what made the Simpsons work, you know, and, and makes it work still, I think, which is that going back to the very beginning of it, it was this combination of these three really visionary people. Matt Groening, of course, you know, created the, the, the characters uh, based on his own family and, and the look of it, which was so unusual and strange uh, and his his particular, you know, kind of satirical point of view on things. And then you had uh, Sam Simon, who was the original uh, head writer and showrunner, who came from uh, working on Taxi and Cheers and, you know, all those amazing, incredible shows and, yeah. and had the like, great comedy writing uh, instincts. And then Jim Brooks, which is who came from this world of like really going with emotion, emotional reality and, and true and truth. And, and, you know, that's his hallmark of his comedy going all the way back to everything, Mary Tyler Moore and his movies. And so those three things kind of balance each other out. So uh, when I got into Officer Family, as much as it was tried to make it a little bit different from Simpsons in terms of the storytelling, being that it wasn't, it was serialized and, you know, people could curse and whatever, a little more realistic. But I think that DNA of the Simpsons is definitely in that show of try to be funny. We we got our satirical weirdness in by the things that they watch on TV, like Colt Luger and all those crazy things. And, you know, and that's where we got our like more zany stuff in is through that. But ultimately, you know, the heart of it and the emotional um, reality of the characters is what holds it all together. It does. And how do you keep from mixing the two worlds when writing for both The Simpsons and F is for Family? Is it challenging to compartmentalize these two universes and all of their characters so that you can write effectively for both? No, I wouldn't say it was that hard, honestly. I mean, the great thing was that The Simpsons, I can't thank The Simpsons enough. Uh, it's been such a, I continue to be there. It, it's a, such a great job. It's such a great show, of course, and, and these amazing characters. But the people who I work with have been so wonderful to me. And, and so whenever, uh, we got another season of Ephesus Family ordered. They would let me essentially go away for a couple of months and just <laughs> leave, leave and go like take like kind of kind of like a sabbatical, I guess you'd call it. You know, where I'd go off and just be in charge of the writers' room for Ephesus Family for five months or so, that and then is come awesome. back. So I was able to sort of just put the Simpsons aside and come back. And but I do think that there's enough of a difference between the characters and between the worlds that it was it was that hard for me to do it. There'd be some times where we'd be working on things and someone would pitch something. I'd say, uh, you know, we, we kind of already did that. <laughs> you know, so yeah. It was, it was good for me to have someone like me who knew, who knew both worlds. Yeah, like, like, nice, well, we really yeah. couldn't do that. You know, because we already did it. Simpsons did it, as they, as uh, South Park uh, used to say. A writer but, on uh, any show is going to go through that. Oh, Simpsons did that. Yeah. 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 I, I remember that Simpsons that episode. will always be a that. challenge for any other show. <laughs> is it easier yeah. or harder working on a serialized show and not having that clean slate to work with each episode? Uh, well, that's a really good question. It's both, I think. You know, the, the fun that... It's, I wouldn't say easy or hard. It's just different. It was a different challenge because with the Simpsons, you, you are kind of creating a blank slate each time. And, but then that, that leaves a lot of sort of like, you can do almost anything. So let's, what, what are we going to do? Yeah. Um, well also, also, but also we're also coming from a place now where when I started like that show that we mentioned, uh, the Tony Hawk episode was the 300th episode. Uh, and now we're up to 700 and, 50 plus you know so it's like how how do you find so the big challenge for 
writing The Simpsons now is finding stuff that hasn't been done yet or finding yeah. a new take or finding a fresh thing. But so with Officer Family, that was a different kind of blank slate because uh, we just started with the, with the real just the family characters. And then we kind of built the fun part of that was the world building of it all. And and OK, who are the people he works with and what happens there and what's the school like? And it was really great. And then it was really fun and interesting to be able to follow that through. Yeah. And to have it be serialized and have like a thing that happened in season one, episode two, be called back, you know, two seasons later. And, uh, that was great. And it did help that I have a kind of a steel trap memory of some of those things. So I was able to sort of say, oh, yeah, this happened back in episode two of season three. <laughs> this, Love this that. One I joke. Have, I have that ability as so well. That's definitely kind a blank thing to do as well. The, the historian of the show to yeah. be able to say, we, we've done that before. This <laughs> was when. This is how we did it. Episode three, minute four. <laughs> Let's talk of, about working with Bill. That had to be fun. Any funny Bill stories you can share? Oh, my God. Well, he's just the greatest. Uh, he's such a... What, a... what an amazing guy. He's so... Funny, of course. Um, he's such a sweetheart. He's so generous and, and great. Uh, and the, I would say the thing that that really impressed me was that when we started together, because uh, he'd already had a pretty good career going, you know, in stand up and, and acting as well. Um, but he had, didn't have any experience with doing this kind of work, you know. So he was really great in letting me be like the room the writer's room runner, the show runner, you know, and certainly for those first couple of seasons, he would sort of just say to me, like, like just treat me like I'm one of the guys on the staff, you know, like sure. I'm, I'm playing the main part. Uh, you know, I'm going to have my, my input that way, but I'm not, I'm not going to, he didn't like be like throw star weight around or anything like that, you know? So he would pitch jokes and he goes, if I pitch a terrible joke, then it doesn't get in. It doesn't get in. It's like, I'm not going to do that, you know, and he didn't. So he was literally just in the room. And he, he, for that first season, certainly for the first season and uh, a lot for the second season, he basically put the rest of his career on hold just to be there in the writer's room every day. And uh, he would walk in, sit in the writer's room and just be one of the guys pitching jokes. Uh, And uh, he barely ever would say like, well, I want to do it like this, you know, um, but he didn't. I mean, he was just one of the people. We had a great staff of writers um, who I'm hugely, uh, huge admiration for, and we all got along great. But he just didn't. He didn't treat himself like he was anything more than just one of the writers. Well, that is one hell of a cast. I mean, those are some monster names on that show. And but that is awesome to hear about him. That's kind of exactly what you'd expect out of Bill. And he. That's cool to hear. He left his ego at the door. That's why he's my favorite. Yeah. Um, yeah. So did most of the subject matter come from stories or memories either you and Bill had from growing up? There's something so real about the subplots and storylines on that show. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, it started with Bill. A lot of it came out of Bill's life. A lot of it came out of my life. And then once we started bringing in other writers, a lot of stuff came from there, from theirs as well. You know, I mean, people, the thing, I, I bet you the thing that if you ask, if you had Bill on here right now, uh, they'd say, what do you get asked the most? And it's probably... They go, did you really hide under your parents' bed while I had sex? You know, <laughs> which is like one of the big things in the first season of the show. Uh, and the answer to that is no. Like that was just made up and that came, came about as when we were working on the story for that. But a lot of things did come from. So like the one thing you'll say that, that he, I remember him pitching 
that did come from his life was being chased up a tree by the bullies <laughs> and that they were throwing firecrackers that. and stuff at him or throwing rocks at him. I think they were throwing firecrackers at him. Oh my God. Uh, you know, so that, that came, that came from him. Uh, the stuff that came from me, like actual story things that came from me again, going back to the very first episode was uh, when um, Bill Murphy uh, put a magnet on the color TV and ruined the color TV that my brother did that oh. to our color TV. That, that was in one of the first episodes, wasn't it? That was the first episode. Oh, yeah, that was the first episode. Say that sounded familiar. Yeah. So things like that are like neighbors, like, like we have the, the super creepy neighbor Goomer. He's based on our, <laughs> our, my, my semi creepy neighbor back then I grew up, you know, so everything, everything, everything gets exaggerated for comedy effect. Of you course. know, but this was a guy, this was a guy who would would walk around the neighborhood. He'd walk his dog, and then he'd use that sort of as a pretext to sort of you always see him like waving to you and peering into the window and stuff like that. And then he did do this thing that I I put in the show where he was a very strange man. This Mister, uh, well, I won't say his name. Yeah. He's not alive anymore, but he may have relatives still around. But anyway, um, that he uh, he had his old dog. And when the dog would poop, he would wipe the dog's butt with toilet paper. Oh. That is true. So <laughs> things like that, little things that you don't forget when you're growing up, <laughs> make it into a show. You know, uh, uh, and the one thing that actually got in the show that we tried and tried forever to get in. And, and I told Bill Burr the story um, at our first meeting. And he told me later, he's like, when you told me that story about your father, that's what made me realize that you're. I think you're the guy to do this uh, work on this idea with me, which is that my dad was not a yeller and screamer like Frank. He he would he would sort of keep a even keel, but then he'd let his anger out in weird other ways. So um, the story is that we were watching television once, and, uh, and baseball game was on, and they had this commercial that used to run all the time back then for these cigars called White Owl Cigars. And the, the, the conceit of the commercial was this guy sitting there with a cigar with a real smug look on his face, like a real smug look. And he goes, he goes, you may not smoke White Owl cigars now, but if you do, just try one. You'll see. We're going to, you're going to, because we're going to get you. That was the crazy. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to get, get you. you. Oh, we're, oh, we're going to get you. And my dad had a really frustrating day. You know, he must have had something going on in his life where he, you know, he was, he was a, a blue collar guy who worked at a construction company. So maybe he had a bad day at work the day before, whatever, for whatever reason, he took it out on this guy on the TV. So the guy says, we're going to get you. And my dad literally talked back to the guy on TV and he says, you're not going to get me, you son of a bitch. Like, like he was really like taking it personal. You're like, you what know? is happening right now? I know. And my brothers and I, we were like around 11 or something. And we looked at each other like, wow, boy, wow. that's got a lot going on. So anyway, <laughs> I, I told Bill that story. and He thought that was really funny. And then we tried, we tried to work it into the show. Like every season we couldn't get it in. we finally got it in, in season four. Uh, and Frank is watching the bowling match, yeah. whatever. And that happens. And he says that. So that made me really, really happy. And my brothers all watched that and like called me up right away and said, Oh, you got the thing in. That's some of the funniest stuff too. Love background stories like that. Yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> visual direction in writing for animation. This is really interesting sure. to me, and I know it's a big part of writing these shows. How frequently does it have to be used? For every line, do you write first and focus on the content and add the visual direction after or more as you go? Yeah, I think that's probably right. Like well the the, the first thing we do is is really work on the story and 
you know, what's the story about? What are the beats of the story? And then we come up with the dialogue and the jokes. And then, and especially, well, I've worked on some other shows that are a little more visually oriented. Like I worked on some more um, kid cartoons, like a Nickelodeon and uh, on Disney. And even on those kinds of shows, it's the kind of thing too, where the writer doesn't have much input after you write it to the animation people. So you tend to like want to really call out shots and things like that and say like angle on this or close up on this or we, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, on a show like Simpsons or Episode Family, there's a little bit less of that. Uh, and especially in Episode Family, because then I, I was really working very closely with the animation people. So I would have a big uh, meeting after at the beginning of each episode and talking them through it and say like, well, I think this is the kind of scene where we want to be really close up on Frank here until we see this. So, so it didn't have to go in the script as much as, um, but definitely was a thing that was a lot of uh, input from all of us and specifically me, like working with the animation people on each episode and calling out some kind of shots. Or I might say like, this scene would be really great if it was kind of framed like this scene from this movie or, you know, yes. that kind of thing. No, that totally makes sense. That's fascinating to me. What do you enjoy watching yourself? Do you have any shows you follow? Have you seen any good movies recently? Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, TV, well, I tend to watch anything that anything in like the star Wars type stuff, you know, so I'm watching Boba Fett right now. Mandalorian. I love Boba Fett so far is interesting. It's only had two episodes, but uh, you know, it's been that same, uh, general world as a Mandalorian. Uh, I watch all the Marvel things, although I was never a big comic book uh, kid, uh, uh, growing up, but I enjoy all the Marvel shows for sure. Um, when it comes to comedy, uh, I tend to like shows that are really just funny, funny, funny. Like I'm not a big fan of like shows that are kind of like half and half. Yeah. Like, uh, like I know everyone loves Ted Lasso and I have not given that show its proper, Me its neither. proper due. I, I keep think, getting recommended I, Ted Lasso and I have yet to give that the, um, yeah, proper so, attention. Uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll give it a shot, but I tend to go towards more like just hard comedy. Like, my favorite show, it, it, it ended its most recent season uh, this fall, I believe, is uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Great show. Uh, so funny. And I'm a huge fan of Matt Berry from that <laughs> show. So his his show, uh, his English show called Toast of London, if you've seen it. I have not. Is one of the, oh my God. It's so crazy. It's super absurd. Ooh, Nina. Uh, it's called Toast of London, and then the third or fourth season of it is getting ready to come out. It's running in England right now. It's called Toast of Tinseltown, where he comes over to Hollywood. But in it, he's an actor, like a like a weird kind of uh, super pompous actor, <laughs> uh, and um, it it almost defies description. You, you'd say you like it's the kind of show where it's like, oh, he's this actor, and he's struggling in his life, and he has weird. He has weird jobs and, you know, but, but that's only half of it. it it's very weird and very bizarre and, and kind of surrealistic and uh, it's super funny. So that's if you get right a chance to alley. see it, it, it was on Netflix, I believe, but it might not be on Netflix anymore. If you can find it anywhere, especially if you like what we do in the shadows and you like what he does on that show. Yeah. I love, uh, I love got, the movie and see the show of what we do in the shadows. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to see it. So that's oh. my high, highly recommend. Ooh, good nice. recommendation. I just saw something a couple of weeks ago that was very New Jersey. I wonder if you saw it. It was a documentary um, called Class Action Park. 
<laughs> yeah, I went to that park. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was hoping that you would say that because it course. was very New action Jersey, park. all about Action yeah. Park. That was new to me. Um, that was fascinating. That blew my mind. Just the, like the whole concept, the fact that that ever existed, how long it, it stayed open. Yeah. So you went to Action Park. You have some memories there yourself. I did. I was my my whole fam my whole family. We went there. This is going back to like around 1979 or 1980. For some reason, we were going to have a vacation, like a proper vacation where we were going to go. They say like go down the shore, which means that in Jersey means like renting a, a house down at the beach, the right. Jersey shore. And for whatever reason it fell through, I can't remember. And instead of going away for a week down to Atlantic city or wildwood or whatever, we said, well, we'll just take day trips. So that was our one day trip was to go to action park. Uh, and it was like an hour or so ride from our house. It was a super hot day as I recall. And yeah, that place was uh, tons of commercials for it. And it was these, water slides that were incredibly fast and dangerous water slides. Um, and the one thing that I remember the most, because I got somewhat banged up on it was this thing called the Alpine slide, which yes, was, the Alpine slide. was like a water slide without water. Yeah. So it was basically like a water slide without water. And you sat on this like plasticky kind of like cart that had I think it had wheels. I can't remember. Oh my God. But, and it had like, and it had like a stick that you could use that was kind of like a brake stick. <laughs> uh, and it literally you went up to the top of this hill and rode this thing down and you're riding it down. It's going fast. You're banking on these turns. And like on one of the last turns, I flew off the thing. I tumbled down. I got my legs all scratched up. It's like completely all screwed up. So, but that was like, <laughs> that was what it was. But that's the kind of thing like we would do on Ephesus Family. Like, like that's the kind of thing where you couldn't imagine it happening now in today's world. But back then it was like, yeah, you know, you didn't happens. wear seatbelts in the car and like, you know, and, and kids ran off and played in the, in the, in the woods and, you know, and yeah, you didn't have seatbelts and, and babies, babies didn't have baby seats. And it's like, that's just the way it was. Yeah. Some of those you know, rides were mind blowing. I couldn't believe that. Like they actually yeah. had a no, water slide true. that had a loop at the bottom and they tried to make that work. <laughs> it, it, it was, yeah, it yeah, was like, yeah. they literally said like it was ideas the owners would have like while drinking, they draw yeah. down on a bar napkin and then hand it to like some teenage engineers was, and say, make it was, happen. Yeah, that's it. There was one I recall that was literally, that I didn't go on, I don't think, but my brother did, was literally just a straight, kind of a drop like at like a 60 degree angle just like straight oh, down with like you're going like super super fast and like it was up to you to like keep yourself safe you know that was, was the up, one was up to you. You, you didn't even make contact yeah. with the slide until halfway down and i believe that was yeah. the one that was notorious for shooting liquid in places you didn't want liquid to go whether you were a guy or a girl what? <laughs> right yeah yeah it was pretty crazy Oh my God! Were you like not yeah. even touching anything to get down? That had to be fun. Oh my that, God! Yeah, that was pretty crazy. Unregulated water park in the eighties. That, oh, that had class. to be fun. God, that had to be fun. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, last question. Let's say I'm a comedy writer and I believe I got the goods. What is it I can do today in working towards becoming the next Michael Price? The thing to do is just to keep working on it, like to write stuff, write as much stuff as you can. You know, just or find an outlet for for your for your uh, comedy you know like like for me it was um what got me started was doing this uh, improv and sketch performing where 
because uh, I always thought it was kind of funny, but it, it wasn't until I was doing this, taking these classes and then being in this uh, uh, performing group where we had to come up with material every week, you know, different material to perform in front of an audience where I could get enough reinforcement to realize like, oh, okay, I thought this was a funny idea for a sketch and I guess it is now because people are laughing at it and, and finding ways to sort of hone it and, and learn how to learn what makes a, a joke work, what doesn't make a joke work. So any way that you can do to find to do that, or even if you're just writing on your own, write something that you really like, share it with your people who, who you trust and, you know, get feedback and just keep doing it until you feel like you're really, really good at it. Um, and then ultimately, if you really want to do this, you're going to have to find some way to get it to somebody who can help you, like an agent or something like that. And that that's probably the hardest part is to, to get the in that way. And it may just be, I mean, it used to be a thing where, again, this is in a pre-pandemic time where I would say, come to L.A., get a job somehow, doing anything to make money, keep writing, you know, maybe take a class at an improv place or something like that, you know, or or something like that. And then if you can get a job, like getting coffee on a show or something, get it any way you can, like find anybody, you know, who knows somebody who knows somebody who can get you just a job, even on the entry level of a show and work your way up that way and start meeting people and making connections until you find somebody who's ultimately ready to look at your stuff and hopefully pass it on to the next person. That is great advice. That's exactly how I would imagine it goes. Yeah. Like that's, that's really good advice. It does sound like you got to just put yourself the out there. the best job ever. Yeah. And the other thing I'd say is like, for me, the one thing that really helped me was that I had no plan B. Like I came out, I came out to work. LA with my writing partner and it was like, I'm either going to find some way to work in the entertainment business or I don't know what's going to happen. Like, <laughs> I don't know what like I'm going to do. Wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't like, well, I'll give it a shot for a summer, and if it doesn't work, I'll go back to law school, or I'll just go be a doctor. Like, I had nothing else. You know, I don't think be it ever works for those people that are like, I'm going to try it for a summer, and if it doesn't work, I'll fall back. No, because yeah. I'll, I'll go home. to this. All in. You're born this way. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. You have been such a pleasure to oh have on. Oh my God, Mr. so Price. much fun. Thank you. Thank you. I cannot thank you enough for joining us. I really do hope we get oh. the opportunity to speak again sometime. I hope so too. This was great. Thank you so much. No, such it, a pleasure. It was a pleasure for us. And F is for Family, it's season five on Netflix right now. Just came out November 27th, a must-see. And of course, The Simpsons remains the best show of all time. And you can follow the very funny Michael Price at Mike Price in LA on Twitter. That's at Mike Price, the letters in L.A. on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you again so much for joining us, Mr. Price. Really do appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank right. you. Thank you, sir. Take care. Well, that was awesome. How cool so is he? cool. Oh, my God. I could have talked to him for like three more hours. I that know. Was so fun. I was in story time just listening. That was, I was awesome. really soaking up all that Simpson-y goodness. That was just a real fucking treat. God, that was cool. The best part about interviewing Mr. Price was not having to even think about watching my mouth. He's from New Jersey. He works with Bill Burr. If you asked him, he'd probably say we were vanilla at best. Yeah. <laughs> but that vanilla bean podcast I did? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. You guys yeah. like that? Cool. <laughs> Phone down. Good stuff. Well, this should blow your fucking top off. There's a new Dream Car giveaway over at 8080. In addition to the 15% off you get for using code Crunchy, they're offering double the entries. So right now, every dollar is worth not one, but two entries into this action. You do not want to miss out. 
Nor do you want to forget to check out SomethingCrunchy.com, where you'll find every episode, our links for social media, and the Almighty Crunch Store, where you'll find all kinds of crunchy gear showing that you are a proud citizen of Crunch Nation. Then there's the Something Crunchy Facebook group. Big growth this week and over the holidays. We gained more than weight this year. <laughs> 2022 is off to an extremely crunchy start. And feel free to join us in there for some hot memes and good vibes. <laughs> Door is always open. This has been another episode of Something Crunchy. And as always, don't ever forget to live your crunchiest life. And be crunchy to one another. Don't forget to subscribe, like, follow, and all that crunchy good shit. Thank you for listening.